Let's take our Bibles, if you would, please, and we'll open them to Joshua chapter 4. We're in Joshua chapter 4. If you've been going to church for very long, and uh, as I see here, most of you have, that you have uh, heard many different songs about crossing Jordan and how that crossing uh, the Jordan River is comparable to our death and then going into the promised land is comparable to heaven. And a lot of songs that we sing do equate the promised land with heaven. Well, it makes a real nice picture when you, when you write a song about that. But when you look at the Bible, you find out that heaven and the promised land don't really equate very well. Because when Israel was ready to cross the Jordan River and to go into the promised land, uh, they faced a very formidable foe. There were battles that they would have to fight in Canaan. And the first battle they would fight was the Battle of Jericho. And then after that, there were other battles. Some they won and some they lost. And so, in many ways, heaven and the promise, or heaven and the promised land don't equate very well. Because surely we know this, that when we get to heaven, there aren't going to be any battles for us to fight. All the fighting will be over. The victory's already been won. Well, if heaven and the promised land uh, don't equate very well, then what exactly does the promised land stand for? Well, I think most of us are probably aware that the promised land is really a picture of the Christian life. And leaving the old life, crossing Jordan, and going into the promised land is a picture of how we leave that life of sin and we go on to the victorious life in Jesus Christ. God had never promised us. He's never promised that we would have an easy time of it in our Christian life. And if you're a Christian, you know that by now. It's not an easy time. But he did promise that if we would keep his, our eyes on him, that he would look out for us, he'd watch out for us, and help us along the way. Well, one of the things that we do that's an encouragement in our Christian lives is to look back and to remember the things that God has done for us. We remember how that we were sinners and how God has pulled us up out of the muck and mire of sin. He saved our unworthy souls. He set our feet upon a solid rock. And those are good things for us to remember. Well, in this story tonight, we find out that there is a time of remembrance. And God told Joshua specifically to set up a a memorial so that he would remember some things. And so we have this story about stones in this chapter. And God says, I want you to set up some stones and that will help you remember what I've done for you. So we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about some reasons why you need to set up some memorials in your life. So let's please stand, if you would. We're looking at Joshua chapter 4. We're going to read just the first seven verses tonight, and then we'll talk about some other verses in the chapter as we go along. Uh, Chapter 4, verse number 1. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying... Now, this, of course, is after they've, uh, God has parted the waters and they've gone through there and they're on the other side of the river. Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command you them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones. And ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night." Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? 
Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight. And Lord, there's some important things here that we need to talk about this evening. I ask you, Lord, that you might help us, each one of us, to set up memorials in our life to help us to remember what you've done for us. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, you may remember that I preached about the stones that Jesus walked on during the time that he was here on this earth. And as we talked about that stones, I asked a question, what could these stones testify about the life of Jesus? Throughout the Bible, we see different instances where people were told to put up stones or to erect a memorial. And each time that they did that, it was just like what I was talking about in those New Testament examples. Because every stone that was set up and when a memorial was placed there, that was to help the people to remember exactly what God did and what took place on that particular spot at that particular time. If you visit a a cemetery, uh, when you go into the cemetery, you see lots of stones that are there. And you may not know all of the people that are represented by those stones, But if you have someone there that you loved and someone who was a part of your family and you go into a cemetery and you see that stone set up, what does that do for you? It helps you to remember that person. And and when you see the stone, there's a flood of memories that comes back to you. Every time that I go to Kentucky, I visit the Camp Nelson National Cemetery and I go there and I look at a stone. And the stone that's there has the name of my father on it. And as I look at that stone, that helps me to remember what my dad meant to me and what he still means to me. And, and I, uh, I don't like to be in the cemetery, but I do like to remember my dad as I see that stone. Well, here in this story, God told Joshua to take 12 stones out of the River Jordan. And he said, I want you to take those over to the west side of the Jordan to a place named Gilgal and put those stones one upon another and build a memorial there that'll help to remind you about how you cross the river. Now, I want to take that experience and talk to you about memorials that you need in your life. What are memorials for? Well, first, I think we can say that when you set up a memorial, it's for you personally. It's something for you to look at. And sometimes you, you need to have some things in your life where you can just go back and remember what God has done for you. Maybe you need to remember the feeling or what it was like when you were first saved. That feeling that came over you when you trusted the Lord and the happiness and the joy that you felt. Sometimes we need to go back to that. We just need to remember what God has done for us. You may be in a place in your Christian life right now where the energy has sort of gone out of things. And maybe your spunk and your desire to do God's work, it's sort of failing And so you've come to a place where going to church and and doing God's work is almost like pain and drudgery to you. Well, that's when you need to go back and you need to think about those feelings once again about what God did for you. I mean, the good feelings of being saved. Well, God knew that Israel had a tendency to forget these kinds of things. And God knows that we do as well. And so he wants us to have some memorials in our life. Now, there are two specific memorials that that God has given for Christian people. And everyone here tonight, you need to observe these memorials. The first one that I want to talk to you about is the memorial and building a stone of baptism. You need to take the stone of baptism and go back and think about that and remember exactly what it was for. The, the, The baptism 
is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there's an interesting analogy here about Israel passing through the Jordan and how that compares to our baptism. Israel went down into the water, they crossed the dry riverbed, and they came up on the other side in the promised land. And when they came up on the other side, they'd left the wilderness area, and now they're in the prosperity of Canaan. And that was a picture of how they were going to go on and walk in this new life, a life of victory. And isn't that exactly what the New Testament says about baptism? Uh, Didn't Paul tell us in Romans chapter 6 that when we're baptized, we die to our old way of life and we rise to walk in the new life that's in Christ? In Romans chapter 6 verse 4, Paul wrote, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When we think about the Jordan, uh, Jordan is actually a compound word. Two syllables there. The first part is jor, J-O-R, and that means to spread. The last part, dan, D-A-N, means judgment. And when John the Baptist stood on the banks of the Jordan River and he took people down into the river to baptize them, there was a judgment that was taking place. John the Baptist, if you remember, uh, preached to the people and he said, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, he's saying to the people, Judge yourselves. Confess your sins. Come to the waters of baptism with confession of your sins and repent of all the things that you've done against God. And isn't that what we do when we're baptized? I mean, here, uh, nobody is even eligible to be baptized until they've confessed their sins and they've repented of those and then they've turned to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So whenever you see baptism or you see us go over here, we put someone in the water, that's a time for you to remember that once that you were dead in trespasses and sin, but then God spoke to you. God opened up your heart. He granted you repentance. And then God himself even gave you the faith that you could believe in him. And so that picture is there in baptism and it's a memorial. Well, another interesting thing about these stones that were taken out of Jordan is that apparently there were actually two sets of stones. One set of stones, they were to leave in the river exactly in the place where the priest stood. Then the others they took away to Gilgal. Now, some people say that the stones that they left in the Jordan left a rippling effect there. For centuries after that, people could walk to that very spot of the Jordan River and they would see the rippling of the waters and that would remind them that this is the place that Israel crossed the Jordan. There are some commentators who believe that uh, John the Baptist may have gone to that very spot and he baptized people there. And as he did, he could see that rippling in the water. Well, folks, what all of this is about is simply identification with Christ. We observe the waters of baptism because that is our public declaration, our public identification. And so every time that we see someone baptized, we're reminded of the baptism that we went through and our promise that we said we're going to walk with Christ for the rest of our lives. And that's something you need to look back to, a memorial that's set up. Remember even your own baptism and what took place there. But then there's another memorial that God's given us in the church, and that is we're to build with the stone of communion. As you pick up stones to build a memorial, you need to remember communion. There's a stone of communion that pictures the death of Christ. If you look at Joshua verse number 19, uh, Joshua 4 verse 19, it says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, 
and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. Does anybody here know what the tenth day of the first month was? Well, the tenth day of the first month was the time that they selected the Passover lamb. And so what God did here in the crossing of the Jordan, he worked this out to perfectly coincide with the time of Passover. Well, of course, we know the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the Passover lamb, that God selected him, and God said, you're going to die for my people, and so he's the elect, precious lamb of God. Well, when Israel went through the Jordan, that was a picture of going through the death of Christ. And you don't enter into the promised land, folks, without the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way that you're going to get from here over to there. You'll never get into the victorious Christian life. No one will unless they go through the very blood of Jesus Christ because the Bible teaches he is the lamb for sinners slain. Well, what has God given us today in the church to help us to memorialize the death of Jesus? Well, very specifically, we know that he gave us the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper was given, uh, instituted at the time of Passover. Jesus did that in the New Testament at Passover time. And that was to picture that he was the Passover lamb. Now, as Baptists, of course, we don't believe that uh, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament like many other people. We believe that it is a memorial. Paul spoke about this, and and when he was writing about Jesus and the Supper, we read it all of the time in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, most of the time when we uh, observe the Lord's Supper. But Paul wrote, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So the Lord's Supper was given to the church as a continuing commemoration of the death of Christ. Jesus went into the grave. He arose from that grave. And whenever we commune in the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating the death of Christ. And we're saying that as, as believers in Jesus Christ, that we have gone through the death of Christ. And if you're a church member, you ought to make it a practice that whenever we observe the Lord's Supper, and we usually do that the first Sunday of every month, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, every member of the church ought to be here. You ought to have a part of that because God says that this is a remembrance. It's a memorial of what I've done for you. And so you need that stone in your life. You need to go back and remember the death of Jesus Christ. And I might also emphasize once again that baptism and the Lord's Supper are memorials. They are not sacraments. When Israel took these stones out of the Jordan River, they didn't take them to a sculptor and say to him, make us some kind of a monument, make us something here that's worthy of our worship, build us an idol here that we can worship. No, they took those 12 stones and all they did was to pile them up, pile them up. And I think that that tells us that we are not to make gods out of the Lord's Supper and out of baptism. We're not to wrap those things up in religious formalism and make the thing that they signify the very thing itself. And what I mean is, I mean, there are religions that do this. They make baptism the means by which people are saved. And they'll tell you, you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. The Roman Catholic Church has made the Lord's Supper into a mass. 
And every time that they observed the Mass, they crucified Jesus all over again. And so they have their Christ who's hanging on a cross. They slay him every time that they say that Mass, and they worship the very sacrament itself. Well, Jesus is not on that cross. Jesus left the cross, and the Lord's Supper is there to signify what Jesus did, and it's not to do what Jesus has already done for us. So we don't practice a Mass, and we don't practice baptism for those reasons. Arthur Pink said, When divested of all priestly and personic trappings, how plain and simple, yet how significant and impressive are the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Well, then there's another stone that God's given it for you personally, and that's to build with the stone of fellowship. You should have noticed in verses 4 and 5, it says, Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of Israel." Now, we see something here, and that is that God wanted all of the people involved in this. All 12 tribes, they're to have a part in this stone memorial. Even those two and a half tribes that decided that they would take their inheritance on the east side of Jordan, God said, I want this, uh, them involved in this as well. I want them to take their stone. I want them to place it on the west side of the Jordan at Gilgal for this memorial. And what that tells us is that we need the fellowship of all of God's people. God's people need to be a part of the church. And in fact, we can't even build with these other stones. You can't have a stone of baptism or one of the Lord's Supper unless you're a part of the Lord's church. And the reason for that is, is because those are church ordinances. So we have to have this stone of fellowship. And the book of Acts makes it very clear to us. On the day of Pentecost, when those 3,000 people were saved, the Bible says they were added to the church. And we notice the order in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So the church is a place of fellowship. And whenever you have a Christian who's not a part of the church, that Christian is just like a fish out of water. We need the company of God's people. And so you need these kinds of things for you personally, something that you can look back to and you can have that memorial in your life. In the book of Ephesians, Paul used the... Christians says, and the church as being the building of God, and he used that analogy. He said, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, and whom also ye are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit." Then Peter said, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so this is the way it starts out. A Christian needs these memorials personally. We just need to go back sometimes and remember what Jesus has done for us. But then Joshua gives them another reason for the memorial. It's a witness for their faith. And who is it for as well? Well, the memorial is also for your posterity. 
Now, it's for you personally, but it's also for your posterity. In other words, those who come after you. Now, Joshua says that these people who come after you, they haven't seen the same things that you've seen. So you need to set up this memorial so your children will know exactly what happened here. In verses 6 and 7 of our text, it says that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. So the children in times to come, those who came afterwards, they wouldn't be able to see what exactly happened at the Jordan River. They didn't see the people pass over on dry ground. They didn't see God roll the waters back. They didn't see a rushing river uh, overflowing its banks at the time of harvest. They saw none of that. But what they could see when they got to the other side and as they got older, they could walk upon this monument of stones that were put there. And to them, there may not be any rhyme or reason for why those stones were there. And Joshua says, here is the perfect opportunity for you. You can tell them about how great your God is and how God led you across this river and how God is the one who's in control and sees and protects you in all things that you do. You can see the greatness of God because of this memorial. So how is it that we begin to build for our posterity? Well, first of all, we need to build with the stone of instruction. Build with the stone of instruction for our children. How many of you here have ever been to New York Harbor and you've seen the Statue of Liberty? How many of you have actually seen the Statue of Liberty? Well, all of us as Americans, we're very well aware of what the Statue of Liberty is all about. Now, if you take children, though, if they're coming to this country and they've never heard these things, they might pass the Statue of Liberty and they see that woman standing there with spikes on her head and uh, holding up a torch. And they may wonder, well, what in the world is all that about? Well, there's an opportunity to tell them about what we stand for in this country. Here's a country that stands for freedom. And that Statue of Liberty says that there are people who fought and died and, and our freedom has been won by that. Now, oddly enough, that statue was given to us by the ungrateful French uh, that we have, you know, taken care of a lot of different times. But that's what that's all, <laughs> that's what that's all about. I mean, there's freedom that that stands for. Well, that's a great American symbol for us. Now, when you go to Washington, D.C., for instance, and you travel around there in the city, you see lots of memorials. There's the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, there's Jefferson, the Jefferson Memorial... And those things are there that we can teach our children just how precious that freedom is and how difficult it was to build this nation. But here's the thing about it, folks. Why is it that we're so concerned about that kind of freedom and we're not very much concerned about the freedom that comes with knowing Jesus Christ? Jesus himself said, If the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And freedom really means nothing at all if we aren't free from the tyranny and the slavery of sin. And that's what Jesus came to do for us. This life is short. I mean, 80 years or so we live on this earth. Eternity is forever. And yet we are more concerned about teaching our children about freedom in the United States than we are about what it takes to be free from their sin. You know, tomorrow morning, 
all across our country, right here in Rona Park too, I mean, everywhere, uh, Christians and other people will get their kids up and get them ready for school. They'll make sure that they have everything they need to get off to school, make sure they get there on time. All their books are in order. They got their lunch and everything that they need. And yet most of those people, including most Christians in this country, didn't care about whether their children were in Sunday school this morning. They don't care whether they're over here in the Pioneer Club tonight. They really don't care about that because we've got to educate our kids. I mean, we've got to worry about math and about science. We've got to instruct them in social studies. They've got to know about all the humanities. But apparently their eternal souls really don't mean very much to us. Joshua did not tell the people, build this monument out of 12 stones because your children need to know how to count to 12. Well, that might be a good idea, but that's not the purpose of it. He said, build this monument because this represents what God did. Someday, you're going to have to face Jehovah God. Someday, you're going to stand before him, and you need to know who this God is. And what a pity it is that our, our parents today, our, even our Christian parents, are not concerned about that very issue. Their children one day will meet this God, and they need to know who he is. So we need to build with a stone of instruction for our children. The second thing that we need to do is we need to build with the stone of imitation. What is it that children do? Children imitate, don't they? Your kids ever go to the closet and put your clothes on? You ever seen your little kids, those little boys and girls, put their feet in your shoes and come out walking, you know, through the living room? What are they doing? Well, they're, they're imitating you. Every time you see a little kid doing something like that, that ought to stick out like a stone in your mind. These kids are imitating me. They're watching me. They see what I do, and I've got to be very careful about what I do. Now, think about the kinds of things that your kids see in you. What kinds of things do they imitate? Do you show your kids a pack of cigarettes? Put a cigarette in your hand? Do your kids see you with a wine glass in your hand? Do they see a bad attitude? Do they hear things at the dinner table at night, like complaints about the pastor and the church and things that go on here? Do your children see you doing something else on Sunday besides going to God's house? You know, I shudder at so many Christian families that are just too busy or they're just too disinterested to bring their kids to the Lord's house. You need to think about what kind of stones that you're building with Be careful about it because those kids are watching you. You know what those kids are going to do when they get older? Same thing that you do. Exactly what you do. So if you're going to build something for them, if you're going to give them something to imitate, what kind of things should you give them? Well, how about this? How about building a stone of prayer in your life? Building with stones of prayer. Or or building with stones of Bible study in your house at night. What about building a stone with tithing? Or building a memorial with tithing, I should say. What about that? You know, one of the things I really like to do, I I like to watch the kids as they come in uh, for church on Sunday morning. And uh, they're bringing their offering with them. And sometimes, you know, I like to to play around with the little kids. and And I start to take their offering away from them. And I say, is that for me? And they say, oh, no, no, no. This is for Jesus. I bring in this to Sunday school. This is for Jesus. Wow, are you teaching your kids that? Or when your kids get a dollar, do they do exactly like you do? Me, 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 me. It's all mine. So what kind of stones are you building with? What kind of, 
uh, things are you giving them to imitate in your life? But let me go on here for just a minute. You need to set up some, some memorials for you personally. You need to set up some for your posterity. But Joshua also added something else to this mix. Look at the uh, last verses of the chapter, verses 23 and 24. It says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. So who else needs to see this memorial that you build? Well, thirdly, the memorial is for other people. Now, it's for you personally, it's also for your posterity, but it's also for other people. Now, can you imagine what these Canaanites thought? Here they see this vast number of Israelites on the other side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is at flood stage, but they don't see any boats over there. They don't see anybody start to build a bridge over the river. And so they're looking at the children of Israel and they're saying, there is no way that those guys over there are going to get over here. Now, we've got at least until late summer. I mean, when the river begins to recede, when it goes down, we've got at least until summer, uh, late summer before we have to worry about them getting here. Well, that's what they thought, of course. But then they see Israel start to march. They, they see the priests pick up that Ark of the Covenant, that box called the Ark of the Covenant, and begin to move towards the front of the people and head towards the river. And as they watch, they see the armies of Israel begin to gather a distance behind that, starting to get ready to march. And they watch those priests as they get nearer to the river and nearer to the river. And they step into the water to their ankles and then down to their knees. And all the Canaanites are thinking, we've never seen anything like this before. There's a mass suicide out there. They're all going to drown themselves. But then they see something start to happen. When those priests begin to wade in, the water starts to part. The waters recede. It starts to back up. All the people up and down the river are thinking, what's going on here? All the tributaries of the river stop flowing. And there are those priests standing down there in the riverbed, a dry riverbed, and the armies of Israel begin to pass over. And they pass by those priests who've been standing there for hours waiting for the people to get across, and they're holding back the water with the ark of God. And now finally everybody's on the other side. Suddenly the Canaanites have no more time to deal with this. Now, whenever the Canaanites came upon those 12 stones at Gilgal, do you think that there was one Canaanite who was brave enough to go over there and push those stones over? I don't think that there was. And folks, they were running out of time. You know what that reminds us today? Folks, people are running out of time. Life's getting shorter and shorter. I mentioned it before. You are closer to eternity today than you have ever been in your entire life. Life is short and time is running out. So what do we need to do? Well, we also need to build with a stone of warning. This God is the God of heaven and earth. And this is the God that you answer to. I want you to turn your Bibles back for just a moment to chapter 2. And we're going to look here at at, at some things here in chapter 2. And the story of Rahab. We preached about Rahab a couple of weeks ago. But when the spies came down... Uh, to see Rahab and went through their house, her house, they didn't find uh, people hiding behind the mighty fortified walls of Jericho. 
expecting that there was no way that Israel would conquer their city. Rather, here's what they found. Joshua 2, verses 9 through 11. And she said unto them, that's Rahab, she said unto them, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now here, these Canaanites, they heard, they already heard what God did at the Red Sea. But they only heard about that. They just got that by word of mouth. They heard about it. But here, they saw this with their own eyes. They saw Israel come across the Jordan River. Now, very quickly, turn over to chapter 5, verse number 1. And we're going to read here the immediate response of these people when they see this happening right before their eyes. Joshua 5, verse number 1. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. So every time they saw the stones at Gilgal, that was a reminder of what this God can do. Now we're going to fast forward just a little bit over to chapter 7, and this is after Jericho was defeated. There was a man by the name of Achan, and we'll talk about him in another message. But Achan was one who disobeyed God. He took from the spoils of Jericho after uh, the children of Israel had defeated the city. And his sin caused Israel to lose the next battle at Ai. And when God had revealed that Achan sinned, Achan and all his family, all of his livestock were stoned. Now look at chapter 7, verse number 25. Chapter 7, verse 25. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? Speaking to Achan. The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his, of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Now, what do you think the Canaanites thought when they saw that heap of stones? What were they thinking about here? Well, there's a memorial, who this God is, what this God expects, the kind of judgment that this God passes out. And they had to be thinking this. If God would do that to a disobedient Israelite, then what in the world is God going to do to me? Now, friends, here's what we need to do. We need to raise up a heap of stones about how people need to repent of their sins and turn to the living God. And do you know that churches today are not raising that stone? They're really not. I mean, uh, people today, you don't hear, hear sermons about hell anymore. The proper thing or popular thing for people to do today is to mix it up with the people of Jericho. Join in with them. Mix with the Canaanites. Make their God our God. Let's just go along and get along with everybody in the world. And we wonder, where are the preachers that are still preaching about hell? Well, where are preachers that really don't care if you get a little bit anxious and upset and it bothers you when they preach a sermon about hellfire and brimstone and they preach a sermon about separated Christian living 
Where are the preachers that aren't afraid to preach about that anymore? But that's exactly what we need to be doing. We need to raise a stone to tell people they must repent of their sins. Now, here's what Isaiah said about it, and it perfectly applies to churches today. He said, his watchmen are blind, they are all ignorant, they are all dumb dogs, they cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Do you know who Isaiah is talking about there? He's talking about people right there among the children of Israel who were supposed to be prophets and supposed to be serving the living God, and they were too afraid to tell the people to turn from their sins. Here's something we need to remember. People do not get saved if you don't sound the warning. If you don't tell them about it, they won't get saved. And you know what Ezekiel said? He said, if we don't tell people about this, their blood will be required at our hands. Look what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 3.18. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same Wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Now, I already know, for those of you that are in the Sunday morning form class, somebody's going to say, what in the world does that mean? And how do you deal with that scripture? And I'm going to tell you right up front before I ever get the question. I don't know exactly what it means when God says, I'm going to require their blood at your hand. I really don't know the answer to that, but I'll tell you this, it's not good. And I don't know how God's going to work it out, but it's not good because there's a warning here. So what do we do? We build with this stone of warning. We tell people about these things. But then there's something else that we do besides just warn. We also build with the stone of testimony. And what is the testimony that we build with? Well, the testimony is what God has done for me, he'll also do for you. The song says, it is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. Do you know Rahab found that out? It was no secret at all to her what Jehovah God could do. She's the one who told the spies. We know all about the Red Sea. We know all about the plagues on the Egyptians. We know all about Sion and Og, those two kings that Israel killed on the other side of the Jordan. We know all about that. But there's something else that Rahab found out. She also found out that this is a God who would also pardon a vile, wicked prostitute and would bring her into the covenant of grace. So here's a stone that we need to raise. We need to raise a stone that says, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. We need to raise that stone because we have a merciful and a gracious God who tells us that he'll save us. And we tell people, he saved me and he can also save you. And you see how important it is to raise stones, to put a memorial in your life? You need to do it for yourself. And you do that because you need a constant reminder and of how you need to just keep those home fires burning bright for the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to do it for your posterity. Do it for your children. So they'll know when it comes time to to receive Christ as their Savior. They know the story and they'll believe him. They'll trust him as their personal Savior. You need to do some things like having these little kids up here uh, singing like that. Bringing kids to Sunday school, Pioneer Club. Putting them in the place where they can hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want them to go one minute beyond the age of accountability without knowing Jesus Christ. So you build that stone of posterity, and then you also do it 
for others. Build a memorial for others. And you let them know that just as Jesus has welcomed you, he'll also welcome them if they'll just put their faith in him. Folks, we have crossed over Jordan. We've gone through the death of Jesus Christ. We're on the other side. And now it's time for us as the people of God to claim the victory in the promised land. Our Christian life needs to be a victorious Christian life. So we need to go back and just remember some things that God has done. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, for this story in Joshua and how we do need to raise these stones for a memorial. We need to do it for ourselves so we can remember what you've done for us. We need to do it for our children so that when they come to the age that they can understand how to be saved, that we're right there to show them what God can do for them. And then, Lord, we also need to raise this memorial for other people so that they can understand that there is a God who has mercy, a God of grace, a pardoning God who will forgive them of all their sins if they'll just but trust in you. Lord, help us to give that message to them. Bless in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.